before we get started this morning in our study in 2 Corinthians 5, I want to encourage you guys, because I was so encouraged this week, I got to spend a few days at a conference with other pastors, and I don't do a lot of conferences, but this was one I was interested in because it was for pastors that really believe that the Word of God is powerful, that just the proclamation, the preaching of God's Word really does effectively work in those who believe, those pastors that teach line-by-line expository preaching. And I want to encourage you guys, because I really do believe that things happen when the Word of God is preached. How many of you guys believe that? How many of you guys have experienced that just through the preaching of God's Word? There's instant change that takes place in our hearts. And that's what we want to be open to every single time we gather together and every time that we're in God's Word, because it is living and powerful. And this morning, guys, in the next couple of weeks, we're in one of the neatest passages, I think, of all the New Testament. And here, you've heard it before, 2 Corinthians 5 is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, and we get to start there this morning. So if you haven't turned to your Bibles yet to the epistle to the Corinthians, we're going to be looking at their second letter this morning, chapter 5, and Lord willing, we're going to get through the first 10 verses. So before we jump in here, would you guys take a moment and bow your heads with me and just pray with me that our hearts would be open this morning to what he would have for us. And Father in heaven, that is our desire here today. We don't want to hear from a guy named Landon. We want to hear from your word, from the living God, the one who has created all things, the one who has revealed himself to us through your word, God, which is very much alive and very powerful able to touch lives instantly. And we pray that our lives today would be changed for your glory by the hearing of your word. So help us, Holy Spirit, to hear, to allow these things to go deep into the innermost part of who we are, our beings. God, that we would be changed in ways that bring you honor and glory, Father. For you are truly worthy and truly good. And your word is truly good. Thank you for this time now that we get to study it and hear it. We pray in your name. Amen. A couple questions before we jump into 2 Corinthians 5 this morning. The first one is, are you afraid to die? Don't you guys think that's probably one of the most asked questions among all people upon this planet? And also, do you have a fear of death? Are you afraid of death? Maybe the afterlife. And that's what I entitled this morning's sermon, The Afterlife. We're afraid of dying. What will happen to me once I die? And these are the type of questions people have. And sometimes they're ignored until they're facing death themselves. But it is a reality for a lot of people. I'd love to share with you an old Indian proverb that I heard this week. Life is a bridge. Cross over it, but build no house on it. There's a preacher by the name of Richard Baxter I read once in a while. And speaking in his uh, work, this he, he was a very he was a man that was sick often, and he said this: "It made me study 
and preach things necessary and a little stirred up my sluggish heart to speak to sinners with some compassion as a dying man to dying men. And I like that because that's the one thing you and I are all doing. We're all going to die someday. (laughs) But in this life, what are we doing? Are we sharing the bread of life with other people? You see, man always knows his life will shortly cease. And he lives as if he knew it not. Death is one thing that faces us all. Rich, poor, infant, teen, grandparents and parents, you and me, we're all going to face death. So each one of us has been given two dates and a dash. Right? 1977 to 2000-something. Right? So man has done everything to soften the impact of death, especially by coming up with different theories to either dismiss it entirely or to at least soften the blow. Joey Garcia. Started going to school with him when I was in kindergarten. Had special classes with him, small groups, Got to know him well. One of my best friends. He died when we were, I just turned 19. Died on Highway 41, motorcycle accident. Went to the funeral, and so many of the kids that I grew up with went to school with all those years. Even though I just graduated, I'm seeing all my high school buddies once again. I think at that funeral, I wept harder at than any other funeral I've ever been to. And the reason why was because the pastor got up and began to share why Joey was in paradise. And we're all going to be in paradise someday with him, and we'll all get to see him again. My heart broke because just three months earlier, I bumped into Joey at McDonald's, and we had not been as close in high school as had we been in elementary and middle school. We were taking different paths and had the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him very clearly that night at McDonald's. He listened. He respected what I had to say, but he wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. So do you understand why I was weeping at this funeral. I don't know what happened in those three months. Maybe he personally bowed the knee and said yes to Jesus and believed the gospel. I hope that's the case. But I don't know that for sure. But what I did know for sure is not everybody that was there, these friends of mine for my entire life who were at this funeral were all going to go to heaven one day. There was a pastor who was lying to everybody and saying, we're all okay. That pastor said, we're not all okay. Heaven and hell are very real. And many, the Bible tells us, God says many go to hell and not to heaven. But there is a hope in Christ. And you need to put your faith in him. Because he is the only way to heaven, to paradise. I wish the pastor could have told the truth instead of lying to all my friends. You see, all roads do not lead to heaven, guys. 
It all can't be true. We have contradictions then. Either God was telling us the truth or he's a big liar. And he says that Jesus is the only way, period. Do you believe that? But those are the type of things we tell ourselves because we don't want to deal with reality. We don't want to deal with the afterlife. We don't want to be real and ask those questions, but these are the questions that actually matter because these are eternal. What we do in light of the gospel will affect us for all time. And there's a lot of popular views out there about the afterlife. I'm just going to share with you the three most popular I think there are. How many of you guys have heard of reincarnation before? Much of the world believes in this when it comes to afterlife. Is a new birth into another body. You just move into a new body once you die. You live that life and you'll die again and you'll move on to another body. It's kind of like being recycled eternally. That's how I like to put it. Reaching some higher life of happiness. And if you've lived a good life, guess what? You'll have a better life in the next life to come then. But if you messed up in life, your next life's going to stink a little more. That's what they believe and think. And then there's another view out there. How many of you guys have heard of soul sleep before? I hear this taught often, otherwise known as intermediate sleep. You have no consciousness or existence from time of you know, your physical death until the day of the resurrection. So you're kind of in a hibernation after you die, okay? You're just sleeping during there. You don't really go to heaven or to hell. You're just sleeping during that time. And that often will lead somebody to despair. You develop this attitude of, hey, let's just eat and drink and be merry. Tomorrow we die. Who cares? We're just going to go to sleep, right? And then purgatory. How many of you guys have heard of this? I know a lot of people that believe in purgatory. That's where you go after you die. Okay, The root there, purge, means a place of spiritual purging. Okay, Basically, death moves you into a temporary state where others can pray to set us free from punishment. Okay, The New International Dictionary of the Christian Church defines it as this, in a intermediate place between heaven and hell where unfinished business of earth is settled. So this doctrine's built from 2 Maccabees chapter 12 verses 39 to 45 where it says thus he made atonement for the dead that they might be free from this sin. And of course this book comes from the apocryphal book the Hidden things is what that means, which we do not see in any part of the canon of scriptures. These books do not claim for themselves to have the same authority as what we have of the Old Testament writings, and they are never part of any of the Hebrew Bibles, and they are never quoted in the New Testament, nor by Jesus, and they contain teachings that are inconsistent with the rest of the Bible. And this was accepted into canon back in 1548. The Catholics actually referred to it as deuterocanical, okay, deutero, that there's two canons of Scripture. Now, what I want to do this morning with our time is answer eight questions. And we're going to start by launching from two words that we found at the end of chapter 4 in 2 Corinthians. So let's look at verse 18 together. It tells us here, 
Verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So I want to look at temporary and eternal this morning. And remember, guys, life is a bridge. Cross over it, but build no house on it. So, if a man dies, will he live again? That is the first question I want to ask us this morning. Will he live again? Let's take a look at verse 1 together here in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's what Job asked, right? If a man dies, shall he live again? Job 14, 14. And that verse goes on, and he answered him himself, and he said, All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. We have the writer of Proverbs 23, verse 18 said, For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. So when it comes to theories about death, you hear we think, or we believe that, or we hope that, yet the Bible says we know. Did you guys catch that in verse 1? We know. Did we read last week? I believe, therefore I spoke. When we talk about the afterlife, brother and sister, we know what God has to say about it. It's not I think or I hope. No, we know the truth. And then it talks about these tents, okay? Camp is fun, isn't it? Right? A little sore on the back, but besides that, it's cool to get out into the wilderness and enjoy some tents. But it's not home, is it? Because if you go camping for a few days, you're like, I can't wait to get home to my own bed, right? And that's what he's trying to communicate here. The Apostle Paul, a tent maker, he understood tents, that they can be made well. But these tents, our bodies, guys, this ain't it. This isn't our home. We're just passing through, okay? We're just in this tent for a time until we get to our eternal home. In this temporal place, our tents, okay, the Bible refers to it as a tabernacle, right? And we had those tents. The children of Israel had the tabernacle until what? The temple was built. So we will one day set aside our earthly tent and we're going to exchange it for a heavenly suit. Are you guys excited about that? I sure am. Next question I'd like to ask this morning is it natural to long for heaven? Are any of you guys homesick? And you guys actually dream about heaven. Like you think about heaven. You can't wait to get there. I know some of us get excited. Oh, deer hunting's coming up. Oh, I might get to go to Disney. Oh, maybe I'll catch a Packer game. Blah! Doesn't compare to heaven, okay? Heaven's rad. We should be thinking about that more. And I want to look at verse 2 to answer this question. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Did you guys catch that? 
For in this we groan. We groan because we are weary. We are rain-soaked campers longing for a home. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of us have lost a few stakes along the way. Our tent's beginning to fall apart. It's getting worn. You guys know what I'm talking about? It doesn't take too long. I don't like looking at myself in the mirror anymore. Like, where are all these lines coming from? <laughs> how, does gray, how does it just get grayer every day? Like, what's happening? You guys see what Paul is trying to communicate to you and I? This is part of life. We fall apart. And there's things we go through. I remember one time, was it Wyoming that we were in when we had that storm? We were in Wyoming. And this was so cool camping with the family because we had a tent that was big enough that we all got to sleep in it. Well, we got a warning. They told us a storm's coming. They weren't kidding. We're all in a tent, and a storm was coming. And you guys know that sometimes in this life, we get hit with stuff. Our tent can't take it. We might get torn up a little bit, and it needs to get fixed. And that's what happened when we were in Wyoming. I'm on this end. You guys know which end of the tent stayed put. <laughs> Uriah's on the way other end. Sonny's next to me freaking out a little bit. Then Shalom and Finn. In this windstorm, it came on fast and hard, and it's raining, and it's just, I'm sitting there like, whoa, this is really cool. No, we're not going to get out of the tent, because if we do, it's going to blow away. We know that. That would not be a good thing in the middle of the night. But the wind came up so much, it actually blew Uriah up off the end, and the tent came up on its side. And over on my end, I'm just sitting there giggling a little bit. We're not moving 250 pounds i'm sorry unless it's a tornado we ain't gonna move so the whole tent's kind of like flopping over everybody's falling on me right and then my end of the tent rips open Boom! that's how bad the wind was but what's expected guys it was a tent i wasn't there in a house that was built on a foundation that was grounded to the ground that was reinforced and built to withstand the storms. Guys, that home, that house is going to come one day when we are home and glorified as he is glorified. New bodies with hair again. It's going to be wonderful, right? So, anyways. Do you guys ever get upset when you're out to eat and you have a Seven-course meal. You know the goods are coming, but the waitress shows up to grab the first course. Are you bummed? Like, oh, don't take that way away from me. No, you're like, no, I know there's goods coming. Like, yeah, get rid of it. You know, keep it coming. I think the reality, when we grasp the truth of the scriptures here, that's the way we begin to feel. Yeah, I'm falling apart. We're all falling apart. But are you guys getting a little excited? Because every day is one day closer to being with Jesus, to being at home. No more pain, no more sorrow. Okay. I'd like to ask you guys another question. Is there such things of ghosts? <laughs> Absolutely, Pastor. Have you not been driving around? Halloween was this week. Did you not see all the little goblins running around the streets? Of course they're real, right? Even this last week, we had this paranormal researcher who was presenting right at the Kakana Public Library. He's an expert on it. He was right here telling everybody about it. No, there is no such thing as ghosts, guys. 
Just because we live in Kakana, some of you, I know you have many of you travel from outside of Kakana, but here in Kakana, we are the ghosts, the galloping ghosts. Right here at the high school, what do they have a huge statue of? A ghost, right? Ghosts defined by Webster's is the supposed disembodied spirit of a dead person. We will not be kicked out of the tent to roam homeless, guys. God does not say that. The Bible does not teach it. <sighs> if there's something strange in the neighborhood, who are you guys going to call? No, don't do it, guys. There's no such thing as ghosts. <laughs> are you hearing me this morning? There may be demonic manifestations. That is biblical and that is true, but there is no such thing as ghosts. If indeed, oh, there's, there it is. Yeah, I found it. Ghostbuster, wagon. All right, look at verse 3. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be naked. The scripture is very clear on that. Guys ready for the fourth question this morning? Here it is. What is stronger than death? We'll check out verse 4. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by death. Life, not death, swallows up believers. Do you understand what he's saying here? A little more clarity needed? Let's just jump back a few chapters to 1 Corinthians 15 together for a second. You guys may remember this. We studied through 1 Corinthians together. And in chapter 15, look at verse 53 towards the bottom here. It says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall it be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, okay? And it's because of what Christ has done. He said it was finished upon the cross. The work is done. And he proved it because he overcame death, didn't he? He rose from the dead. Therefore, what's stronger than death? Life in Christ, guys. There is resurrection. Now, how do we know God will do this? I am so glad you guys asked. Let's go back to chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, verse 5 now. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Okay? Think about this for a second. God has already placed down a down payment on our eternal homes. Right? If the Holy Spirit's the down payment, can you guys imagine how much greater it's all going to be? This is pretty cool to chew on. This is truth that we need to grasp because it is going to get us a hope where we get heavenly minded, that we're excited that we're passing through, that we get to go home someday. A little girl was walking one evening with her dad. Wonderingly, she asked, as they looked at the stars together, and she exclaimed, Oh, Daddy, 
if we're on the wrong side of heaven and it's this beautiful, what must the right side look like? Do we live in that kind of anticipation? We should. Should I stay or should I go now? Yeah, I'm singing this morning. You guys know that song? That's our next question. <laughs> should I stay? Who sang that song, by the way? The Clash. There we go. Should I stay or should I go? Great question. Thank you, The Clash. Look at verse 6. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Have you ever had a long distant relationship with someone? Sonny and I, she's cute. We got engaged. She actually said yes. And she takes off for Milstadt, Austria. 4,548 miles away. She's doing an internship at the Bible college there. So whether we're writing letters, calling them, email, Facebook, sending each other pictures, FaceTiming, still nothing compares to being with somebody face-to-face. You guys know what I'm talking about? Nothing. I long for that day when I finally get to see God face to face. It's going to be so cool. And it's the same relationship with our Lord, guys. We as believers should desire that. Now I want to look at verse 7 with you guys. Paul drops this parenthetical for you and I. Okay, This verse instructs us on how to live in the meantime. How we to live, right? Do you guys know... A big chunk of the world are Hindu. And they kind of believe everything goes, all religions are good. There's one that they don't like. Anybody guys want to guess which one? They accept everything except for one religion. And you guys want to take a wild guess what that one religion? They want nothing to do with Jesus. Biblical Christianity. That's the one we don't, we don't do. Kind of makes sense, right? All right. Anyways, Hindus, they have this desire to visit the city of uh, Banarnas, um, at least one time in their lifetimes, in the banks of the Ganges there, okay, one of the oldest cities in the world. This holy city to them, it has some 1,500 temples, and the road encircles the city. It's 36 miles around. So to walk all the way around the city with devotion is deemed a very holy thing for the Hindu. But we believe it's that how we walk is much more important than where we walk. Amen? And we're called to what? Walk by faith. It's the how. Are we walking by faith and not by sight? This is the life that the Lord has called us to as Christians. But what I've seen from a lot of brothers and sisters over the years is they need to see if I don't see it, I'm not going to do it. Even if God asks, because I'm scared, because I don't trust. But God asks us to walk by faith. And that's often, guys, a not seeing. 
step out and see what God has. And that takes trust, doesn't it? And as we depend upon him and we're believing him, it is a beautiful thing because faith pleases God, doesn't it? That's what we're told in Hebrews 11.6. And then in verse 8 it says, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I think that is so cool, guys. As we walk through this life by faith, and we are to fight that good fight of faith. You may be doing it today, but don't you want to finish well? Don't you want to be fighting the end? That, hey, I'm believing. Every breath, every day God gives me, I'm going to continue to believe the gospel. I'm going to continue to believe his promises. I'm going to continue to walk by faith. Even though the world is saying this, even though some of my brothers and sisters in Christ might be tripping on the temporal and not hearing from God and are living in fear, I walk by faith. Not what others think, but what God says. And I'm going to step out. And to be absent from the body, guys, it's very clear. We're going to be with the Lord. That's why it is a beautiful, oh man. God says it is a beautiful thing, the death of his saints. When we breathe our last, we are going to be with him, guys. Have you settled those things in your heart? Some of us who are parents, the thought of losing a child, oh, that would be the hardest thing. I think losing my wife is probably going to be harder than losing one of my kids. But I can tell you as a Christian, I'm going to be really excited when they do leave this life. Why? Because I love them and they know Jesus. They're born again. How would you not be stoked for loved ones to be in the greatest joy in the presence of God Almighty, how can we not say, yes, Lord, this is good, this is right. Yes, I may grieve, I may miss them a whole lot, but I am so blessed that they are there, and I am so grateful that I have a relationship with you because I not only get to see you with them one day, but I get to see them again. That's exciting. That is the hope of the gospel. And isn't that why we want everybody we know to know Jesus? I don't know about you guys, but I want everybody I know to be there. Even people I don't know. Why? Because that is the heart of my God. Is not our Heavenly Father have a heart that desires none to perish? That's what his word says. Did he die just for those who would be elect and chosen? No, First John tells us he died for everybody too. But that doesn't mean everybody gets in. It means what he did paid the price to forgive all sins. But that has to be received. It is a gift to all mankind. But people need to receive that gift by faith. That's the gospel. And I don't know about you, but isn't that how we pray? That people would be receiving by faith what Jesus did, the gift of salvation, Absolutely. So, next question. What should the number one aim be for the Christian? Look at verse 9 with me. It says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Do you guys see how that ties into we walk by faith? I want us to be pleasing to God. 
And the one thing we can do is be faithful. What is God asking us to do? Not, hey, I should do this as a Christian. God asked me to do this. No, we do it by faith. I believe you, God. And we're going to do what you're asking us to do. So our aim, okay, our goal, our ambition to be well-pleasing to him. Do you guys see how this fits together here? That should be our goal, to be pleasing to him. Do you guys pray that when you wake up in the morning? God, how can I bless your heart today? How can I please you and honor you? How can I live a life of faith today? Do you pray, Lord, help my unbelief? To devote oneself zealously to the cause. Do you guys remember the old game, Trivial, Trivial Pursuit, right? I mean, that not be what defines our life. So many Christians today are trying to get to the top, aren't they? What can I do to achieve this or that? The question is, is that what God's calling us to? Have you guys found that scripture where it says, hey, you need to make it to the top? I, I've read this book a few times. I still haven't found it. Maybe I missed it. If I have, let me know. I believe God works a little different than how we've been taught to think. Because I do believe that there is divine purpose for each and every one of us. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. There are great things that God has given to us. Oh, I'm going to quote the great theologian Loki for a second. The burden of being called to a glorious purpose. I believe that God has a glorious purpose for each and every one of us here, guys. But I think that looks a little different than what we think it is. Because we think it's about being the best, finally arriving, making it to the top. I think God works more to the edge. Why? Because we're all different. We're all unique. God is calling us in different ways. Okay, It's not an arriving to where everybody else is trying to get. No, it's going the way God has called us to go and to do the things he has made us, created us uniquely for. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? We're not all the same. None of us are the same. We're all called to love God and to love each other. That's beautiful. But there are unique callings upon each and every one of our lives. And that's where we want to encourage one another. Keep going. (laughs) Be you. Be who God's created you to be. He's given you your personality for a reason. Be you and glorify God. So I'm totally sidetracked, but I want to come back to the aim because we want to stay on target, right? What's the aim of this life? That's the question. And is this your one passion and aim in life to please God wherever you're at, whatever you're doing? Well, it's my goal. I'm not going to go off on everything. You guys understand how often we can miss the mark? There's just so many things. I want this car. I want to do that thing. I just need to make that relationship work. I need to get that job. Like It's so easy to go after all this stuff because we make those things our aim. I believe if Christ is our aim, 
pleasing him, all that other stuff is just going to fall into place. It's just going to happen the way it's supposed to happen. But I feel when he's not the aim, we're missing the mark. And then we find ourselves in a place, and how in the heck did I get over here? It's because you were aiming at the wrong thing. You were going in the wrong direction. The direction, brothers and sisters, that we need to be going is to please him. Amen? And remember that we have dual citizenship, right? Paul determines to please God in both bodies. Pleasing. I think of Titus 2.9, being slaves who give uh, satisfaction to their masters. It says, exhort bondservants to be, or be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. That's what we do. And if God asks, you say yes. You don't say, I don't know about that, God. It's not fitting into my thing, my wants, my goals. It's not about that. What does God want? So, last question. Is God a fruit inspector? Is he a fruit inspector? Look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we must not only appear, but have our whole character manifested. That's what's going to happen, brothers and sisters. You see, Jesus will quickly look beyond the quantity, and he'll look at the quality. That's what he looks at. Customers at the airport, you know, demands no bad fruit or foreign fruit is welcome in the country. You guys can ask Sunny about that. She was trying to smuggle in some Israeli oranges into the United States, and she got pulled to the side. They took her to a special room because that's a big no-no. That's not going to happen. And sometimes we do that, right? God, look what I've done. Matthew 7, 21, look at all the great things I've done. Look at all this fruit. And God's going to say, I don't want that. That's nothing. That's not allowed. Didn't want that type, right? Let's jump over to First Corinthians once again. Just a couple passages, all the way to chapter three. Because Paul, if you recall, with me, well over a year ago, we were in First Corinthians three. But if you guys look with me here at verse 13, 14, and fifteen, Paul brings some clarity to this thought. He says in verse 13, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as so through fire. And he'll look at our motives also, guys. Jump over a chapter to chapter 4, verse 4. For I know that nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, then each one's praise will come 
from God. So we are making or marring a destiny. We are winning or losing a crown. That's what we're doing with our lives. Three things in life are sure. Not taxes and death. First of all, we know birth starts our life. It's true both physically, spiritually speaking. You're not ready to live until you're ready to die. And you're not ready to die until you have been born again. Is that biblical? Is that truth? Absolutely. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. How does a person do that? They put their faith in Christ. They believe the gospel. They turn from all other beliefs themselves. They repent and they turn to God. And they put their faith in him alone. So you can do anything to prepare for your birth, but you have everything to do with preparing to die. Are you prepared? I have to ask that question. A lot of people here. Are you prepared to die? Death ends our earthly life. Are you ready to die? Are you personally ready to meet your maker? Have you made your reservations? No one can book the flight for you. Mom and dad can't do that. A friend can't do that. Your pastor can't do that. You need to do it. There's no e-tickets, no paper tickets necessary now, no lines. You just need a confirmation number from Jesus. That's what you need. Have you put your faith in him? If you have, he's done it all. You're set. You're good to go. But if you haven't, if you're trying to do it on your own, make your own other way, it ain't going to work. It is not going to happen. Opportunity is limited to our life here. It's what you do here and now. Purgatory, reincarnation, and just ceasing to exist, they are not biblical options. There are no two chances in the hereafter. Remember, it is appointed for men to die once, but after is the judgment. The impact we make here, it's going to ripple into the hereafter. Do you understand that this life that's but a vapor, this little bitty sliver of time, is going to have eternal implications? Eternal. So this is our testing ground for eternity. So what is death like? Is it going to hurt? Well, Christians, <laughs> we're in two worlds if you think about it. We are not to despise this world, but instead find shining from the reflection which is to come. We are here, but we are just passing through. 
Our eternal home should have huge implications upon us now, here. Life is a bridge. Cross over it, but build no house on it. And to the unbeliever, heaven is unbridgeable. So Father, we're thankful as we have the privilege to study your word. Sometimes it's easy to just want to skip passages like this because we don't want to deal with falling apart, knowing that each and every one of us will one day breathe our last. But we all stand before you, our maker. And we're going to have to give account And we know the truth of who we are, all of mankind. We've all rebelled against you. And yet you loved us. Yet you were willing to come and to do what no human being could ever do in living a sinful, perfect life. We've all fallen short. And yet you came to raise us up to give us life. We're grateful for the gospel. We're thankful, Father, that you so love this world that you gave your son, Jesus, that whoever calls upon him would not perish but have eternal life. We pray many hearts would be open and receptive to the truth of who you are. God, open eyes people need to see and they need to know God, I do pray for each one of my brothers and sisters. There may be some evaluating that needs to take place in our lives personally. May we not miss this holy moment in which your spirit has been speaking to us. If we've been missing the mark, forgive us, God. We want our aim to be true. We want our eyes on you, Jesus. We want to follow well. So please, Holy Spirit, establish us. Help us to walk rightly with you and step with you to walk by faith and not by sight. That until the day we breathe our last, God, that we would live a life that honors you and glorifies you, for you are worthy, you are good, you are right. God, and do pray, Lord, for great grace for each and every one of us that we would continue to grow, continue to trust, that we would live lives that are well-pleasing to you. For you are worthy of it, Father. There is none like you. You are good, and you truly do deserve the reward of your sufferings. You gave your life that many may live. What a Savior, what a God you are. And we do pray in your awesome and mighty name. Amen. Amen.